You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Penny Dreadful After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Penny Dreadful After Show. All right, guys, welcome back to another week of the Penny Dreadful After Show. And thank goodness I am hosting because the other three here on the panel with me are all taking selfies right now. You guys put Excuse your phones me? down. Don't Excuse even me? act like I was checking my makeup. Up. Actually, 15 seconds ago, you were taking selfies. But I, I, I okay. no comments. All right, let's just move right on from that so I don't look bad. Hey, guys, I'm Bobby DeMiro. And joining me, as always, Marissa Serafini, Roxy Stryer, Tiana Hobson. Ladies, hello. 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 We are here for Season 1, Episode 3, Resurrection of Penny Dreadful, which is fast becoming like maybe our favorite show of all time. They mean business in this show, and Showtime's doing a great job, huh? Ah, amazing, amazing. I mean, I love these stories because they're intriguing in and of themselves, but then how they're portraying it and having that little creative twist to on their end is really fascinating to watch every week. I felt like I couldn't breathe for the entire episode. Was that just because of the intro, the opening credits that you guys hate? Or? No, I love the opening like credits. Those. I'm the one who doesn't want to fast forward through them, um, but that's because I'm weird and twisted. I, I think this episode, even though I thought episode one was great, episode two was fantastic, episode three knocked it, them all out of the park. It was unbelievable. I was so glued to the screen the entire time tonight. Everything was gorgeous, even though it was horrific. It was beautiful. Uh, even if you aren't a fan of the show, which is impossible to me to think of that, but just watching it, it it's so well shot that how could you not just be in awe? Oh, my, like, my jaw was like completely open. It's like watching a feature every single week. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. The amount of thought and effort that goes into every single moment, incredible. I love that they're not making us wait every week, you know, and it's not a normal network show where, right. you know, you have to wait each week. They don't answer anything like each week they're coming back and they're bringing something new, intriguing. And, you know, they're really getting us attached to it. Very well, they're only quickly. eight episodes. Yeah. So yeah. it's like there's they're they're on it. They're speedy Gonzalez right now. Speaking of attached, I know our fans are attached because, guys, we want to thank you for two weeks in a row now. We are the number one show on After Buzz. Yes, you're the number Woo-hoo! one. Yes, number one. That number is one. awesome. And that is not because of us. It's because you of you. Dance. So thank you very much for downloading, for watching on YouTube, and for commenting and tweeting. How many people have reached out to us about this show? Awesome. So many. Yeah. Incredible. So guys many comments awesome. on YouTube, too. Yeah. And good stuff, smart stuff. It's Mm -hmm. not just us, but you guys are a lot smarter than we are. But let's get into the show now this week. Uh, And as we do it, if you haven't already, hit subscribe on iTunes and hit subscribe on YouTube and keep watching. I think a lot of people are finding us pretty easily, but if you have friends who like Penny Dreadful, tell them about the after show because we would love to have them in the fold and we would love to talk with everybody about this thing. Let's get into the first topic, though. Speaking of things new every week that we don't have to wait for, like you were talking about, Tiana, we learned something new this week and we gave the creature who appeared out of nowhere from last week at the end of last episode we gave him a name it is caliban it's his nom de théâtre is his stage name Mm -hmm. uh let's talk about caliban and frankenstein let's start there and starting with frankenstein we see a flashback at the very start of the episode when he was a kid 
he was a weird kid. Yeah. I wouldn't say weird. I'd say he was he was definitely an outcast, but he was kind of like self-exiled that he was so interested in science and life and how things work, which maybe on the outside, on the surface, people might read as weird. But I just, I, how many kids, maybe I just you know, uh, really... I don't mean weird like science. Science is not weird. It's cool. I mean weird like how many kids pontificate on death after their dog dies and talk about how poets view death. He's like, what was he, 10 years old at yeah. that point? That's yeah. like... I think that what they're trying to do is make us feel for every single person on the show. So we're going back and we're seeing what happened with him. He, he loses everything and everyone he loves. Um, and now... Some of the actions he takes, we might not appreciate. We might not do the same thing, but we understand where he's coming from. And that's why, you know, call him weird or call or or don't call him weird, whatever you want. But these are the facts. This is what happened. This is when he lost his dog. This is when he lost his mom. You know, all of these things that we're seeing and we're understanding who he is and why he's interested in the things he is. Yeah, because in the Frankenstein story, like having seen the loss of his dog, that's what really got him interested in life and death and just that the whole meaning of everything and what keeps people or things alive. That's where it, that spark and in, in the catalyst that gets him on the scientific path that he goes on. It was way harder for me to get through than the opening credits with the maggots oh, the coming maggots. out of the eyes of the dog. How long has that dog been sitting there? And Why did he just find the dog? Why did he just find it? <laughs> I mean, week. I, I, oh, okay. It's okay, Rossi. <laughs> it's, have it's, another drink. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it's over now. The, they have the gin, gin in my cup. Gin in your cup. Take, just take a sip of that gin. I it's really okay. appreciate you guys out there for appreciating my gin love. <laughs> Thank you once again. Yep. Necessary on this show. So let's keep talking about Frankenstein, though, because flashback aside, he loses Caroline. Was Caroline... His mother. His mother. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So he loses Caroline, and to your point, he loses everything around him, and we're establishing his backstory and his loss and his sorrow and heartbreak and why he's doing what he's doing and why he's doing what he's doing to create an immortal creature, a creature that cannot die because the things we've seen around him have died. Right. So yeah. he's trying to take care of that problem in a way. Um, but we go to the scene that we were left with at the end of episode two when the firstborn confronts him. At this point, we only know the firstborn as creature and not as Caliban, as we will later. That's a great scene to me, looking at how the firstborn lived. And I will admit I'm wrong. There's a first yes. for everything. I know we, we were both we wrong. We were both wrong we were about both this. Wrong. We were totally wrong. Uh, he didn't come from inside Proteus. He came from somewhere behind it. I still don't understand where, but it, he came from behind him. It looked like just there was just a little, like, what was it called? An alcove. Like, I yeah. know, it's not the right word, but there was, like, a, a little cave area. Like, if you were a kid, down. it's definitely where you would have hid during a hide-and-seek game. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's where he was hiding, and he popped out. Well, a lot of buildings and houses and stuff in England and in the European areas, they have spaces underneath stairwells. So it makes sense that he would probably be hiding under a stairwell. I'm telling you guys, Professor Serafini, last week it was history. This week it's architecture. It's Victorian (laughs) London architecture. She knows everything. Well, she's an expert. Speaking of Professor Serafini, I'm just curious how you guys felt because I briefly got Marissa's take on this. But for me, somebody who's very new to these Penny Dreadful stories, um, I am glued to this I, I don't know the background of everybody. I'm watching this. Everything is new information. I'm loving it. I'm eating it up. But Marissa walked out and said, wow, I, I feel like I already knew a lot of that. Do you feel like even though that was the case, it was necessary to put it in for the people like me who aren't as well read as you are? Or do you think that we, we should maybe be catering to audiences that know their stuff? Absolutely. Because I feel anyone who has read The Frankenstein, they would have expected... Uh, this type of creature for the first creature that we saw with Proteus. And then when we find out that Proteus was the more more subdued, more 
empathetic kind of creature. We're like, okay, it's not as gritty as we thought it was. And then we see this monster, the firstborn, with the expected storyline that anyone who knows the story would come to know. So I like how they're going back, be like, no, we thought it was one way, but it is actually this way. So different variations on the story, so we need to know exactly what story they're going with. Yeah, I think that it's very important for new people to learn about it, Um, but I I felt like this episode, I thought maybe too much time was spent on it, just for me. I thought that maybe we could have cut out a little bit more of, a little bit of, like, the Frankenstein story to focus on something else, because to me, it just drug out a little bit and maybe that is because I'm just more familiar with mm-hmm. the story yeah. so I didn't feel like I was learning anything new. Okay. See and I'm on I'm on Roxy's side. I'm on your side because I don't I didn't read Shelley and Dorian Gray as much as you have and haven't read it <laughs> Why as not? as you have. <laughs> you don't have so, that on your bedside I mean, table? I, I surprisingly oh. I don't. I mean I do. <laughs> <laughs> so but because of that so I Roxy I'm with you that I like seeing this establishing mm-hmm. thing and I think at the end of the day, whether it's us who are relative newbies or it's you two who are relative experts in this or whoever it is viewing expert. at home um, or, or, you know, relative who are more comfortable with the story. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's how how do they take creative license to maybe straddle the fence between the two and do something new for you guys who know everything, but also tell the story and give it justice for Roxy and I who may not know it quite as well. And so episodes, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight are going to be interesting in how that they can straddle that line and give their own unique artistic flair to it while still honoring these stories that have been around for hundreds of years mm-hmm. and, de- and deserve to be told in a certain way. Absolutely. And I mean, Tiana, I kind of agree that they did drag out Frankenstein a little bit only because you and I are more knowledgeable of the story. But I felt like if they didn't take this time to build this monster, he's not going to be as important in the future. So we have to build him now because he's going to be more relevant in more episodes to come. It's also crazy for me because, I, so I, again, I'm not as knowledgeable about this, so I don't know if this is the way the books are. Maybe you guys can tell me. But I, going into this, was like, all right, Victor's amazing. I love him. He's a perfect human. And this monster, this creature, is a mess. And why is he coming back? Why is he tearing everything apart? But when we go back tonight, I, I, I'm feeling, I'm melting for him. I feel gut wrench, devastated, whatever it is you want to call it. I'm looking at the way that he was left, his first interaction, the way he's describing it all. Um, and I, I can't even believe that Victor would do this to something, especially after everything he went through. It, it's just, you know, some people go through horrific experiences and they come out and they're better and they're bigger. And some people it completely crushes them. And I feel like he's straddling the line between those two things right now. Is, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I, I really don't know. But I know that I'm on team creature. Yeah, well, I, I like how Penny Dreadful showing like the two sides of um, you know Victor's story and then the monster story because in the in the actual book because we see the two different stories we mm-hmm. we focus on Victor for a long time and see everything that's happening with him like he's losing family members and then we get his perspective and then we take a humongous shift and go to the creature the monster and see all of his backstory so we get these two separate stories mm-hmm. but in the end they all merge together and make sense in how they line up with each other so penny dreadful is kind of doing it like that okay so- i i will say in the book i think i felt worse for the creature than i did for victor and now yeah and now i i don't know i kind of still like victor yeah i cuz i really I mean- liked him in the first two episodes so I don't know, I had a harder time hating him like I hated him in the book when I read it. You didn't feel for Victor, or feel for the creature, excuse me, watching that scene where he describes the no. sheer abomination and the agony. Yeah, yes, I definitely felt for him, but I'm saying in the book, I was totally 100% team creature. 
And watching tonight, I was like, oh, but I still kind of like Victor. That's <laughs> like, exactly I didn't, I'm, I'm like, who, what kind of person am I right now? Like, no, see, I'm with but, you. That's well, the exact problem I'm having. I, I don't know right now because they hate each other so much. Uh, when Victor turns to Calvin and says, I could never love you. I'm thinking to myself, how, that is the worst thing you could ever say to somebody. How, how brutal and cruel of a human being do you have to be? To say that. I don't know if it's brutal and cruel, though. Does Victor hate Caliban? Or is Victor so ashamed that he failed with what happened with Caliban that for his own personal psychology, he can't bear to face it and he doesn't want to love him or even acknowledge him because it causes Victor too much pain? I don't know if it's hate as much as it's maybe self-hate or shame. And Victor says, this is more casual than it is, but Victor says, I can't even deal with you right now. It's one of those. Right. I don't think it's the fact that he failed. I think it's the fact that he ran out. You know, so like you're saying that shame, that's that's the word that sticks with me because he did this. He created this and we see it comes full circle at the end of the episode, which we'll get to more. But when he says, just so you know, we are now responsible for this thing downstairs. This is our responsibility. And it's him realizing he needs to take ownership of the things that he does and creates. And I also see it as, you know, Victor, when he created this first creature, um, he was young. He was scared. You could see that he was scared. He didn't know what he had created. He didn't know what was going to happen. So in that sense, I also see him running away out of fear, like, of the unknown. He didn't know what was going to happen. The second time around, he had a better idea of what to expect. So that's why he wasn't as quick to run away from it as well. And also, Victor, when he first ran out, he he ran out willingly because he didn't take that time and effort to get to know his, his own creation, his own monster. So, and... And I kind of I can understand why people would feel for the monster because the monster is technically a baby has no is completely innocent has no knowledge of the world and he's off to fend for himself and then when you see someone who's very capable of having human emotions and know what's right and wrong and have that consciousness but deliberately leaves the right. monster you're going to feel more for the creature because he he can't help it but Victor could have Marissa that's spot on and also on top of this the fact that when we see the creature interacting uh with Victor, he's not trying to hurt him. He's he's begging for help. He's you know we we do see his claw at the arm a little bit, but it's not because he's trying to cause pain or inflict pain. He's like, help me! I'm I'm in so much pain. Help me! So I, I was kind of figuring we were going to see him attack or something that would make Victor run away, but no, it's just this thing that is in so much pain um, and is begging to be helped and Victor just walks out on it. But I don't see it as Victor just walking out. I see it as him being so afraid because he does he not afraid. know what's of happening. He's so I don't look at it as him just walking out on the creature, which I mean he could have gone back at some point, but we're all young. We all make mistakes. We all do stupid things. This and is a big I, one. And this is a big <laughs> one. I mean it's like having a baby and then walking away from it. But yeah. I mean but in this day and age I just I just don't I see both sides, but I also see that, like, I, him being so afraid and not knowing what to do, that the only thing he knew to do was to run away. Just like the creature only knew to, like, scream and yell, but the way he was going about it was scaring Victor. So they're both equally afraid in that moment, Mm -hmm. and they reacted in different ways. Right. Which caused them to be separated, but I don't think it makes someone less of a like nice person a or human. anything. I, I, yeah. I I think that Victor's reaction was very human in that moment. 
I get what you're saying, but you know, it was when about- Victor didn't choose to go back to his creature. He just left him. Right. Absolutely. And we're talking about it's similar to having a baby and walking away from it. You know, uh, the woman who had the child and then put it in the toilet seat and, you know, and then says that she didn't expect it to die. That's that's what I think of. You know, how could you, Victor, expect anything good to happen? You know if you leave, something bad is going to happen. There's no way you leaving could cause more good than harm. You know, there's no way. So I, I feel like to never go back and check, to move, to live all these years. And like the monster says tonight, what did you think happened to me? Did you think I would go away? What did you Maybe honestly think? think? Maybe he did. Maybe he thought he, he was going to be born with, you know, knowing how to speak and stuff because, or, you know, knowing life skills because technically it was a person at some point mm-hmm. who's been put back together. He didn't know that this creature was going to be born and need to be taken care of and taught like a child. Just clarification, and, and this could be a very ignorant comment on this, but when he says that his that it's his younger brother, he he means just because they have the same father, right? Not yeah. because in real life they had been. Yeah, then <laughs> Pro- Proteus came after. Oh me man, I'm gonna get one. eaten alive for that one, guys. <laughs> it's cute. Oh, I should have asked you after so the show. Okay, blame the gin. Hey, let's move on with Caliban. <laughs> Uh, the creature, when he gets his name Caliban, how about the theater with him? Love, and love the theater. Vincent. Vincent reminds me a little bit of Lyle, where it's this very sinister, weird show, dark show. And then there's this one guy who stands out because he's kind of funny and different. Uh, but Vincent kind of takes the creature, takes Caliban under his wing, brings him to the theater. And Caliban learns early in his life that everybody is hateful and mean and he gets beat up and kicked around. And Rejection. then Vincent shows him acceptance and shows him love and one question i have in the theater because they haven't gone to it yet and they haven't alluded to it any more than a single line but caliban has the woman in the theater he's been eyeing Mm -hmm. he's got his buddy vincent and then he's got the lead male actor the good looking male actor who caliban has said doesn't like him so Mm -hmm. conflict is coming in that theater in that flashback we will see what happens whatever but life is better for Caliban, but it is not rosy in the theater. And he's still, dur- mm-hmm. during that time, searching for Victor the entire time. Yeah, and he even said uh, during that whole realization that still he's in a place where he likes to be, and but other people are still not going to accept him for who he is. So he learned that he has to hide in the shadows, even at the, the theater. And also, just a side note, the, the theater that they build, the Grand Grinnell, that's actually a real place yeah. uh, based on... But the... The set that they made, they that's completely built just for the show. The whole theater from the ground up is completely oh, wow. handmade just for the show. Wow. I mean, I we know... saw a little bit of it, but I'm sure there's going to be more episodes where we go, like, see all the floors and levels. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, like, just down to the very details, the bricks in the basement and then the scaffolding up, up top, just everything was built just for this show. And I know you know this, Marissa. We were just talking about this off air, but they mention in the theater in that scene that they are performing Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Sweeney Todd, which we know today, the feature film, the Tim Burton film or whatever, that was one of those first Penny Dreadfuls. I think it came out in like 1845 or something. Yep. That was a Penny Dreadful. So it's kind of a cool homage to the past to say, hey, this is why our show is named this. Here's another little connection for you history buffs and let's move on. (laughs) Yeah, it was really cool, especially when we see, you know, we know immediately when we see the throat being slain. Oh, yeah, you knew it was Sweeney Todd. And And then that reference to Ibsen that was just hysterical. (laughs) But it was actually really funny because 
I always think that Vanessa's character is literally had a gobbler. Like, it reminds me of her to a tea. So that was a weird little moment also. Yeah, and also just Caliban, the name, because we know it's from Shakespeare's Tempest. But the it makes sense with what's going on with this monster because Caliban's character was forced to be in servitude and was deformed in a way. So it was always mm-hmm. played by a monstrous kind of looking character. And both the brothers ended up being named after Shakespeare characters. Yeah. Because Proteus was it. Shakespeare as well. Shakespeare. Guys, he has the most beautiful eyes, though. The monster. I don't know how they did that, but I'm like, I don't think he's so bad. I could totally fall for him. Is, is that is that the gin That's talking? your type? No, I'm not kidding. And he's so... Do like, you prefer him with the blood all over his face and hands hey, or without it? Just so you just... know, everyone loves a lost cause, okay? <laughs> Get over yourself. No. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at him like... I'll, I could be your person. Like, where are you? Do I feel bad? <laughs> I, I've been I've been rendered speechless by Roxy Stryer. <laughs> oh, guys, come on! Don't, okay, you I can scare I me. can feel for <laughs> I can feel for the monster because all he wants is love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Don't who doesn't want that? I can feel for him. That's empathy. You've got like some <laughs> weird crush going on. That's totally different. Those are two different emotions. Oh, whatever. I'm weird. Maybe <laughs> mine's more rational. Maybe the monster's on. Maybe the monster's on Tinder. Oh, let's find him. I, I, I have Tinder. said I am off of Tinder now. We can move on. Step I, too far. I, I deleting it. <laughs> um, I will say that him kind of hanging out in the theater in the shadows and stuff that also really reminded me of Phantom of the Opera. Yes, and, I so too. Yeah. and so I was kind of hoping I was like, oh, they're gonna burst out in song like the Phantom of the Operas. No, no one else wanted to join. Him on that. I know. I Thanks, guys. Totally <laughs> nice voice. Totally I was left me hanging. <laughs> Continue yeah, singing. Nice voice. Yeah. <laughs> No, said no one ever, Anybody? Bobby. No, uh, I was I was being honest. Maybe we'll take a Twitter poll later. Uh, let's keep talking about Caliban, though. One quote I have written down uh, made me strong and tireless. If only you had made me handsome. So Caliban, to me, really wants to be... I don't even think the handsomeness is the specific issue, but he just wants to be accepted and normal. And that goes back to yeah. the love idea that he wants love. But it's not just love from a woman. That's his main goal, as we find out in a second. I think it's also just acceptance into society because he's... Remember, when he was up in that loft after uh, Victor Frankenstein left, he studied society from afar for a long time through the window. He read through books to learn how to read. Like, he's paid his dues. He, he got his book. He got his graduate degree in life in a weird way. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. he school of hard knocks or whatever. But now he wants to fit in in society, and that's a big thing for him is he wants to be normal he doesn't want to be a monster he doesn't want to be a creature he doesn't want those scars to dominate who he is he's looking to be normal and part of that is the love the woman right i think he's feeling confused though because when we first see him tonight he's talking he says look at this face is it not well made so he knows from society that they think he's hideous but when he thinks about himself he he feels like everybody else and that he's human he's got skin he's got eyes so I, I do think he feels confused about what he is supposed to look like or how people view him versus how he views himself he, he's definitely confused with humanity and society and um themselves but like you can see he's learning to love people and like what they do and he's becoming fascinated by people's behaviors and their every all their actions and stuff because he even said from the theater even though these people were acting and that was fake they were creatures of perpetual resurrection hence the title i thought that was brilliant <laughs> just people you know going through all these motions but then doing it again and he finds the beauty in that so and he mentioned something along that lines that the, the the woman gets killed every night at the yeah. theater only to not die and she's back mm-hmm. the next day. And he yeah. says something like, you know, hey, just like me. The undying, exactly. just like me. Yeah. Yeah. 
he sees that in himself. Now, last thing with Caliban before we move on, and I know you want to get to that sex scene with Josh Hart and at yes, Roxy, please. so we're just going to let okay, you. Okay, uh, Tiana was the one talking about it. I didn't even say anything. Guys, we're getting a bad rap here. That was me this week. That was me this week. The gin side of the table wants to talk about that sex scene. Last thing. Hey, hey. Oh, we'll take goodness. it. We'll take it. <laughs> Last Every thing episode. with Caliban. Marissa, let's just do this, you and I. Okay. Last thing with Caliban. Uh, in the marketplace, when he walks uh, Victor Frankenstein to the market, asks mm-hmm. specifically about the companion, um, you guys all reacted very, very, like, gasp and shock and moaning and stuff when he said to Victor, you know, I want love or whatever, and Victor said, I can never love you, because mm-hmm. we all knew it wasn't about Victor. Mm-hmm. But is Victor really that dense to say that, or does Victor just not want to maybe broach that conversation that Caliban has that, hey, you need to go get me a companion. And Victor obviously doesn't want to do it, but didn't even want to talk about it. No. Didn't even want to look at him. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... I think Victor's very vain, and I think he thought that they were talking about Victor. Um, so, he, so you took it at face value? Yeah, then, I reaction. absolutely did. Um, I, because I don't think he was Victor was trying to brush under the rug. He knows that it would have been brought right back up, uh, which bothered me a lot about Victor. Again, I am still with Tiana a little bit that I, I like Victor. I really like Victor. But yeah. this moment, to me, was showing that he is, you know, earlier in the episode, the monster says to him, who's the child, you or me? And I'm kind of starting to see that it's Victor, and he has a lot of growing to do. But just to play a little devil's advocate Fair. here, the creature, or Caliban, also says earlier in the episode that, like, he hates humans pretty much, and that, you know, they aren't capable of all these things, and, you know, just, he has, he doesn't like human beings, and he has that prejudice against them. So when he brings up love, why wouldn't Victor think that he's thinking of the love from a father or a parent and not the love of a woman if he said that he didn't like humans and that were incapable of all these things. So I think Victor's reaction, that might have been mine. Right. Thinking, well, not, I wouldn't have said I could never love you. I'm not that rude. But I would have thought he was talking about, you know, the way his story was all setting up to someone who's just listening to this guy talk and he's like I mean there's one thing I don't have and there is love and, and it, it's hard for Victor to probably love this monster right now considering the monster just killed his his nice creature Proteus mm-hmm. that he grew to kind of love within mm-hmm. that one episode that they had so like, I can understand why Victor's saying I don't want to love you right now in, in paraphrase yeah plus in but, every romantic comedy guys back to this the guys always don't want to love the girl at first and then eventually, you know, by the end of it, they love each other because then you get to know each other. Like, they don't know each other at this point. So how could but he, he love? I, I how could he somebody... love someone that just killed someone he, he loves? loves. Right, of, of course, but I think saying it is a different thing than feeling it. And I, I really believe, T, if somebody brought you somewhere to show you something, you wouldn't be thinking about yourself. I think it's very vain. If somebody brings you somewhere to show you something, to not look around, open your eyes, and at least question where are you getting love from? You wouldn't just say from me, you know, you wouldn't assume that. I don't think most people would assume that. I, I think that Victor is very um, focused on himself because he's had to be because nobody else was looking out for him for so long. So he is focused on him, which is, as we see from his past, valid. Uh, but what did you guys think about this line? He says, you threaten me with death. If you seek to threaten me, threaten me with life. Dots. I, I really don't even I, know what well, to... I think that makes sense with Victor because he's fascinated by death, but he wants life for everything that has died and died because in the story, a lot of people die in Victor's life. And if he could do anything to bring people back, he chooses life over death. I think, too, and not to 
fall too far off the actual story, but to me, Victor has had so much death in his life that mm-hmm. we've seen in the flashback today. And he's what is he doing? He's not going to the bar and making friends. He's not going and falling in love with human women. He's creating monsters to live immortally to on some level be his companion, as we saw with Proteus, to be his companion of some sort, whatever the end goal was going to end up being with Proteus that didn't happen. So Victor has obviously a little bit of a skewed view of the world, but a normal person in that sense might say, if I want love, if I want companionship... Well, I'll go, you know, wherever you could get that in the 1880s in London. Go Victor's, find a Brona. Victor's creating yeah. monsters. So to him, maybe life, I don't know if it scares him or if he's completely given up on life. And he says, I deal with death all the time. I'm, you know, putting the undead back together. And, you know, what do, you, what do I care about death? You show me life and love and loss and things like that. That's what I can't handle because I had to handle it in the past and I didn't cope with it so well or I'm still struggling. Woo! Fire answer. I guess. No, I, I think it's a really good point. Um, in a way, Victor and the monster are looking for the same thing. They both want somebody who's going to be there forever, clearly. Um, so they might find that in each other. Or, the, or they might not. <laughs> That's all I got, guys. <laughs> hey, speaking of forever, let's transition because I can't wait to talk about Josh Hartnett's butt. Oh, my gosh, guys. <laughs> you and T both. <laughs> That was a joke. I can wait to talk about it, but I'm going to acquiesce to you guys. We see the sex scene, uh, a very extended sex scene, I guess, for television, at least what I'm used to. But, hey, it was pretty decent. Oh, it's so it was, Showtime-esque. It yeah. was very sensual. I loved the difference I'm between... Sorry, oh. oh. Okay, too. Look at them. Sorry. Look at them. I love the difference between this interaction with this woman, Brona, compared to his first interaction with a woman who he just, like... Had a nice quickie and tossed her aside. The blonde girl at, like, so, the fair. Yeah, yeah, at the fair. So it shows that in this lovemaking scene that Josh, Josh Hartnett, <laughs> Ethan, <laughs> that Ethan really might actually care for this person. I think that you can also say that with Brona. Last week we saw her with Dorian and it was very rough and rugged and mm-hmm. that was still hot. Um, but this week, you know, we see them in Amen. a much, yeah, right? In, like, a much more, like, softer, gentler type of way and you know there's a lot of Well Marissa said it moments. love making. Yeah. It was love making. It was love making. You know, it was. They weren't screwing, they were making love and we were watching it and it was it was beautiful how much he cared about her. Um and the back to back scenes of him knowing she needs money and then him going to get the money. Mm-hmm. Uh we know that this is a different kind of thing for her. Um but this is different for him, I mean. But I'm wondering when finally we hear Vanessa say everyone loves a lost cause, is this something that he does? Is is this who he is? He fights for things that are already almost well, gone too far. Listen, let me play devil's advocate on Ethan Chandler because the first couple times we've seen him having sex is very casual. He knew it wasn't a commitment, so it's easy to get out of. When you don't know the girl's name, <laughs> you're probably not getting engaged. If he knows, obviously, that Brona has consumption, and he knows what that means. Money or not, medicine or not, he knows what that means, and it is a lost cause idea. That's an easy out for him. And he says, hey, I can have these feelings of love, and I can quasi-commit to her. I mean, I'm putting motives on him that may not be true, but I think it's like, I can quasi-commit to her, and this looks great, and she'll love me, and I like her, and I like being around her, so let's, you know, do whatever, knowing in the back of his head, I'm not in this forever. She's going to die. Well, why does he want to get her the medicine, then? I think because he wants to, he, he is a nice guy and he does like being around her. But I think even in the back of his head, he's saying, not that this is as temporary as some of his other situations, but this is not, he's not looking at, you know, a lifelong love here. But the job he just committed to, to get the money for her to get medicine, mm-hmm. that's, that's he, a 
was freaking serious weird job. Was it for serious her though? Commitment. I think because was he's an, definitely he's an honorable guy, and so there's this dichotomy for him of being an honorable guy who does like being around this girl. He's not casual with her and doesn't care for her. He cares for her, but there's a difference between caring for somebody and loving somebody in that regard and wanting to actually spend your life and commit the rest of your life to that person and go the extra mile. And I don't, I just don't think he's going to go the extra mile knowing he can get out of it so easily with her health. See, I don't think that he would risk his life and make all this money in order to keep her alive longer if he didn't want to commit to her. I think that this is the girl that changes him. I think this is the different one. This is the game changer. Yeah. Okay, well then let me let me ask you a different question. Does he change her? Because she's still working. Um, I, I don't know yet. I think we're going to have to see. I think that if he can provide her with money, she's not going to be working. I don't think that she's working because she loves it. I think she needs to feed herself is what she says tonight. So... If she has feelings for him the way that I think he has feelings for her, then I believe he'll be making the money and she'll stop working. So or, or she'll die. Because I'm not saying that him getting her the medicine is going to work. Uh, maybe he can't get it in time. Maybe it's, even if he gets it, it's... Maybe she's too I just far think gone. that if yeah. he needed a way out, he wouldn't be trying to help her get medicine. Right. Because that's his way out, is her dying. So why get her the medicine and why do such a dangerous job when he could easily go back to gunslinging and whatever he was doing before why right. do you why do you take him at face value that he's getting her medicine he never confirmed it verbally with her yeah. she just said she needs medicine didn't have money he kind of looked at her and then the next scene is him going in for the job the reason i, I do money. is because i don't think he needs money i don't think that he needs money right now for anything else unless the something is being hidden from us which is very possible uh we know he doesn't want to go back to america his father's been calling trying to get him back Something about the law there. Maybe he'd be okay. Maybe he wouldn't. He seems to be living a completely comfortable life. He drinks when he wants to drink. He has sex when he wants to have sex. He has no problem with the ladies. So what else would he need this money for? Because I can't say an answer, it definitely has to be this. The way they set up the scenes back to back like that, they're trying to prove something to us. And either they're trying to blindside us, so you could be right, or or they're showing us this is what he's doing. So you guys are telling me that next week on the show, Ethan and Brona will register at Bed Bath & Beyond for the engagement and the wedding, and then they will take engagement headshot photos with a photographer. I was thinking it? Target more. Oh, but, you know. yeah. <laughs> well, for one time only at Bed Bath & Beyond and Target, you can get two-for-one headshot wedding photos. <laughs> oh, okay. Steven. Wait, where's our product magical. placement, though? We need, like, something on the table now. Hey, no, Target's a good call because you can get everything there. Yeah, I love Target. Yeah. Tar- yeah. But- oh, my God. Target, the best. Target. All right, digress. There Move you it go. Target, free press. Let's let's get off of Brona. I don't know if there's a whole lot more on Brona right now, but there is a lot more to talk about with Mr. Chandler because he then goes after the scene with Brona after the sex scene. He goes to Vanessa and Malcolm's crib, as they as the kids say, the crib, and in in ask for a job. They say, oh, it's Victoria <laughs> on cribs, like. Sorry, that was the weirdest thing Again, was a, she's drinking gin. Yeah. That was a delayed reaction. <laughs> no. Cribs, like pimp my ride, cribs, MG, whatever. No, we, we, pad. we get it. Pad. Okay. It's we called a it. pad in Europe. Come on, guys. <laughs> okay, moving on. So they go to, he goes to uh, Malcolm Murray and Vanessa's mansion. Is that better? Yes. Yeah, palace. Okay, he goes to the palace and he asks for a job. They say, oh, fortuitous timing. We have a job for you. And he doesn't mm-hmm. care what it is. To your point about needing money for possibly Brona, but the, the the issue here is they go to the London Zoo, and there's a bit of a trap set that we learn later in the London Zoo because apparently Mina is not as involved as maybe we thought she was, or her disappearance is not quite as important as we thought it was. It may actually be about Vanessa, like yeah. Malcolm says. Is Malcolm telling her the truth now? Because he wasn't yeah. 
at the first place about going to the zoo, is he telling her the truth about being... Right. Well, we hear the story uh, last week um, where Malcolm... Malcolm finds out that this could be about Vanessa, and he's told not to tell Vanessa because who wants to know they're being hunted by the devil is pretty much what the story is. So so we heard that whole conversation. Everything we heard in that conversation has now been told to Vanessa. The conversation could have been longer. There could have been multiple conversations. We know as much as Vanessa knows. You know, we're, there isn't anything that he hasn't told her that we know. But even before we go to the zoo, we see Vanessa in that hallway, mm-hmm. and she hears yeah. all these animals that we hear, like the lion, falcons, tiger. So all these jungle type of animals, right. which is interesting because, you know, Sir Malcolm, he's an African explorer. He he's probably knows his way around the jungle, too. So And then to go to the zoo, the only place close enough to them that would have all those type of creatures. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it, it really smart. was. It was It was smart, but I. what do you guys think about... So we see but Nina... I, to ask uh, your question, sorry. I don't think Sir Malcolm's telling the whole story here. Not mm-hmm. to Vanessa, at least. Okay. Because no. uh, even some of the information that we found out last week... I mean, he didn't tell her about, you know, the whole Amun-Ra and, mm-hmm. like, the devil coming after her. He just said, I think that, you know whatever we're seeking is maybe seeking you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We see that Mina now has approached Sir Malcolm and Vanessa in some capacity, uh, but they were very different, or at least in the way that they were shown to us, where Vanessa, there was almost time stop. She was dropping the cup. The cup is in midair. Mina shows. What did you guys think about that, the way that she heard these animals and all this started to happen? Yeah, I love the contrast of these two because with the first appearance of Mina with Sir Malcolm, it looked like Mina was going to attack Sir Malcolm mm-hmm. in a very angry, vengeful way. And then with this one with Vanessa, it was more of a plea a plea to like a kind of Help desperate kind of situation. So it makes, just seeing these two, makes me think that Sir Malcolm was more involved with her death in a more dirty way, I guess you can say, or more hurtful way than Vanessa was. This is what she says. She says, they are all about me, the beasts that feed at night, and they are hungry. If they're all about her, then how could they be about Vanessa? No, all about her in in, in English sense, not an American sense. All about, all around. Oh, they're all yeah. about me. Okay, got oh. it. So what what does that mean then? They're all, so they're all around her. What are these beasts? Is it the same thing that we see tonight that we capture or and it's also the the line i'm hungry i mean go back to the very first episode when vanessa's praying and said soon child soon i'm hungry yeah is that this is it the same beast or beasts plural right yes i, no? I don't know i'm <laughs> I mean, not sure the answer i'm just waiting for I mean, the next episode maybe they'll tell me <laughs> I, I need to be Good told. One. Good one. I just need to be told what it is. So, so let's talk zoo because they get there and they end up dealing with the wolves. In that regard with the supernatural thing, because Vanessa had the supernatural experience the first time, obviously, when Mina was there, that was not real. Vanessa imagined it or whatever was going on in her head. Um, are those real wolves? Like, like paws and claws and fur or are is there something supernatural with those four wolves and just the entire group saw it well i mean ethan sure didn't know a lot about those wolves right and what to do in the situation and maybe they are supernatural i mean there is a lot of talk on youtube about maybe ethan being supernatural maybe him being a werewolf Mm -hmm. absolutely i mean when i saw that i was like this is him like he's a werewolf why didn't anyone (laughs) ask him what 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 the hell was that with that man like no one said hey dude what the f was that my other other question to, to to get to the jungle related to this why wolves 
we saw lions and tigers and monkeys and falcons and and all these kind of more rainforest jungle African animals. Yeah. Wolves are not animals that you're going to find in the Congo. So why right. why wolves for that scene? What's the significance of wolves? Absolutely. When we see Ethan tonight too, he goes, he talks to Vanessa and she says, "Do you question that?" And and he says, "No, that is something I do not question that you have something else. You can see something else." Which makes me think that he is part of her world in some sense. He has some supernatural thing to him and it's only confirmed tonight when he puts his hand in the wolf's mouth uh, and the wolf bites down but not hard enough to injure him i mean maybe it's werewolf maybe it's something else uh maybe but you know when we saw vanessa the first episode when she looks at that creature and it backs off that was like this tonight with the wolf in the hand Mm -hmm. so i don't know what they are but they're definitely not just regular wolves and or he's definitely not just regular human or he's just an American guy who's got a good affinity for animals because he's an old Wild West guy fighting in the Indian Wars. I don't think that's it. But maybe. <laughs> I mean, but have you ever seen Dances with Wolves? Come on. He's new, he's new Kevin Costner. I believe that Marissa could have done the same thing, to be honest. But no, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. She could have put her hand out and the wolf would have been like, okay, you, you win. You um, win, ma'am. Right, thank you, Roxy. You're welcome. Wolf is, woman. I, I didn't mean that as a compliment. I did, for sure. Thank you. Woman, one with wolves. But, yeah, I don't know the significance of wolves. Hopefully we'll see maybe the werewolf storyline come into play. I mean, that's dark and gothic as well. It would not surprise me (laughs) if they brought that storyline in. It wouldn't surprise me either. I'm going to ignore Roxy like she didn't actually just howl. (laughs) Um, Oh, wasn't that that movie An American Werewolf in Paris or something? That's something, right? So maybe they'll leap over to Paris and then, boom... He's the American werewolf, Paris. We're, we're getting dangerously but into predictions right now. <laughs> Stay on topic, you guys. Ooh, sorry. Um, okay, so so from the wolves, we we go from the wolves, and the next scene we see Fenton. We don't know his name is Fenton at that point. We learned it, you know, soon Later. afterwards. The, the human, half-human, whatever he is, the supernatural being that looks like a human who is eating animal flesh, goes to attack Vanessa, and they knock him out and chain him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one of you said you love his eyes? I liked his eyes more than the creature's eyes. His eyes were creepy as heck. <laughs> his eyes were what? Creepy. They were like they were um neon. No, they were just like that soft green, light blue, blue like the sky above us on a nice warm day. Oh, you, you that you? Uh uh-uh. uh, I don't agree. <laughs> I also said that he looked like a coked out Peter Pan. That I agree with. Yeah. That you were spot on about. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely his description. But my thing is, like, we see him in our first interaction, he's chewing on some type of animal. Was it like the monkeys or whatever? And he had but, chewed on an entire group yeah, of animals group, on the path. Like, all these animals. Is he the one that's doing the killings from the previous episodes? We don't know. Or is it his type? You know, he says he has a master, so I assume that the master has many of him, or people like that, or not, like he's, not a man. He's but the master's minion. In a way. Yeah, but I think there are minions. Oh, yeah. He's definitely... one of the minions. Mm-hmm. Master is in the dark behind you on the back of your neck. Don't you feel it? That was a very scary couple of lines for him because we've all had, like, chills up our <laughs> spine like, and things. Are... And you know when yeah, you think yeah. you feel like a bug or something, you don't know what's there. It's that kind of a feeling mm-hmm. where you know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, so who is Master? Is it the devil? And then he ends up talking to the Master later, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't think that the Master is the devil. I think that he is devil like I think the master is Amun-Ra and Amunet. Because he yeah. does mention Amunet and Amun-Ra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know exactly who's ruling him, but he says that the end result of this is that all light will end and the world will end in darkness. Which is the... Well, that the world will pleasant. live in darkness. No, but that's the blood curse that they're trying to start. 
Right, we're yeah. trying to execute yeah. because with the end result of the blood curse, everyone's there's going to be darkness. The hidden ones will emerge. But now they're doing testing on him, and they all decide to do that, which made me feel very uncomfortable, and I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> I didn't agree with that part. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. They keep saying, this is a kid. He, he looks young. I don't know how young, but it's a kid. and it's Or even if you call it an animal, this is absolutely animal cruelty or human cruelty. I don't know what this thing is, but I feel awful for it. Well, but I think it's significant, not only the testing thing, but the way that Malcolm Murray reacted. Because for maybe the first time, we really see Sir Malcolm Murray lose his composure, and he beats the guy and has to be stopped by Ethan. Remember in the seance, Mm -hmm. when the seance was going on, and Malcolm Murray was kind of being torn down in front of everybody for all these things with Mina and Peter, he sat there and took it, whether it was fear or composure or whatever, and he's a very together guy because he should be he's upper class and rich and whatever he really lost it on this guy today which to me shows that malcolm murray knows exactly how important this this minion is and how important that master is and he needs to know everything right now but i think that's the desperation that you're talking about which is why it's so unpleasant to think about how they're going to go testing on him malcolm murray is is he doesn't have many cards left to play yeah and we saw in the first episode malcolm murray said that he would murder the world to find his daughter so he's at that point where he's just going to beat the living crap out of anyone to get information but i don't think that's the best way to go about it i don't think this kid knows everything i i don't think he i think he knows what he's been told and i don't think he knows everything i don't think he knows i don't think he's been told anything either i think he's just one of like we were saying he's just one of the minions he's just one of these people who was maybe at the wrong place at the wrong time and got turned into whatever he is now and now he's just kind of scavenging around and whoever the master is maybe he has mind control and can you know like pop in and out of their minds and like feed them little information to know enough that you know i am your master but but nothing more but here's the thing too with malcolm murray he lost composure so bad and beat this guy we now have a good cop, bad cop situation, potentially, because Ethan could be a good cop, Victor could be a good cop, or maybe Vanessa could be a good cop. I don't know if she would get involved with what she knows. But you have a good dichotomy where if they're going to question this guy, they've got him chained up. It looks like they're going to experiment right. on him. So it's like, let's see what we can get out of him. But you can do a dichotomy with Ethan being the good guy and Sir Malcolm Murray being the mm-hmm. bad dude. Ethan's the only one I see playing good cop. I don't see Victor playing that. He was very quick to jump on the let's beat this guy kind of page. Um, but we find out no one in this room uh, room is kind. That's why we're here. That's what we're, we've, we've been told. I feel like I disagree a little bit. I, f- I feel like there's good in a lot of them, no? I mean, are we supposed to take that for what it is? Is, is Ethan not kind? He he seems to be very kind. He but we don't know really his past. Part. I know. He's, hey, we haven't gotten his backstory yet, which well, we, makes we, me scared. We learn he fought in the Indian Wars. Right. By accident. Right. Yeah. Victor calls him out that? for it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Out. By accident. Which, which if we're operating under the fact that this is 1891 1892 correct one of those years so yes yeah, early 1890s. well let's think about this because the the indian wars george custer general custer in america was not too many years before that it was 10 or 12 years before that i'm trying to think which indian war it is because if he really did fight in the indian wars which it looks like he did we may be able to learn a little bit about ethan's backstory without actually knowing about his backstory so he was a frontiersman in the great plains fighting in Indian wars with who knows what in America before we went to... And you know what's also <laughs> did you, interesting... Did no. you guys never take history? No, no, no. no. I but mean, yeah, You know but... what's also interesting? Because in the, first ep- <laughs> in the first episode, during his whole festival showdown, and he's saying the, you know, General Custard and stuff, and then oh. Vanessa calls him out being, Thank no, you. you were too young. Yo, Stephen, keep the camera over there Maybe he bit. wasn't. <laughs> maybe he wasn't actually telling the truth yeah. because Vanessa was saying that he probably wasn't. 
Interesting. So, so mm. it could it could be something completely different. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I'm gonna do some research. Okay, why week. he could be a werewolf who never ages. <laughs> uh, you guys, which you, we know about doing research on the Indian Wars. Werewolves. You two, I you mean, two have homework this week. Yeah, it's yeah. to learn about Custer's Go last name. Do some stand. research. <laughs> okay. okay. Custer. It's How do you spell that? C U S T E R. It's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> okay. I believe Goodness. you. Goodness. Okay. I believe um, you. Anything more on Ooh. Vanessa and Sir Malcolm Murray before we transition out to news, or are we about there? Get us with that news. Goodness. Let's do it. Let's do some news. We got Professor Serafini. After Buzz TV News. All right. So last week we saw the, the seance episode, and there's actually an interview with Timothy Dalton. He... Um, he mentioned during the filming of the seance scene when like all the lights were out and that one peaceful moment, there was a red admiral butterfly that just came fluttering by and just like sat on the table. And everyone was kind of freaked out. We were like, oh, it's a sign, it's a sign, especially during that scene. But the funny thing is, is that they were filming in the winter and butterflies don't hatch during the winter. But Ooh. the set that they were on, the atmosphere, they were using all the lights. Oh, and crazy. Because the set that they were currently on... So it attracted the butterfly. It, it, because it's so warm that all the butterflies were hatching at that time. At, during a time where they normally don't hatch. Mm-hmm. So having butterflies during the winter, during this type of scene, was kind of creepy. And, and mm-hmm. what, what do butterflies mean metaphorically? Life, metamorphosis, things... Going, it's a cyclical pattern. Resurrection, a little yeah. cyclical thing. What was the title of this episode? Resurrection. Oh my lord! Mind blown! Mind blown! <laughs> I think that was a little bit of a stretch, maybe, because wow. <laughs> that happened in the episode titled "Seance." Is there something in the gin today that's making just, you guys mean? I'm just saying. Maybe at least we're mean together. Yeah, no, that's not better. <laughs> okay, and then also Timothy Dalton talked a little bit about if the audience is going to find out more about the Vanessa or Malcolm relationship, and he says, "I." Can't can't really give that one away yet. Yeah, and he told Access that um, things with him and Vanessa are going to get complicated because they are a complicated pair. But we will find out more about them as the episodes uh, come to fruition. And I thought that was cool because we really don't know how both of them really know each other, how they're involved. So we'll eventually find out. Or what happened with Mina and Sir Malcolm. Yeah. And, and I wonder about that, too, with him and Vanessa, because just the faintest amount when Vanessa asks about Brona, when he when she asks Ethan who's the girl, just the faintest amount or just a little tension there between the two of them. So I wonder who Vanessa's going for. I mean, you saw when he when Ethan agreed to do it, he looked at her and away from Sir, Mal- I'm Sir Malcolm you. was like, I'm with yep. you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. okay. It's like if Josh Arden said that to me, let me tell you. <laughs> I'd be a happy girl. I'd be a happy girl. And then Timothy Dalton also added that he loves working with Eva Green because he says, let me tell you, that girl Eva, I love her. I adore her. I mean, who wouldn't? She's amazing. The best part of that quote that I saw, too, is she's so committed. Yes. Which is so, tr- not only the seance, but everything. And that's what makes a great actor, period, is mm-hmm. committing to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But that's Eva Green in a nutshell. And she's got a fantastic emotional intelligence and connection. Mm-hmm. And Damn. also, Josh Hartnett um, spoke to Huffington Post Canada, and they qu- questioned him whether, you know, working from film to TV is a big transition since it's been a while since Josh Hartnett has been on a television series. And he said his biggest fear was that he was worried about the other actors not being able to keep up with the television, compact, condensed schedule, and that would, like, affect people's acting and mm-hmm. performances and whatnot. But he loved the fact that he was working with John Logan because he believes John Logan has really adapted to television faster than most directors and writers would. 
And he he was confident in John Logan that he agreed to do. Wait, he said he was worried about the other actors? Yeah, he was worried about, like, being with cast members that, uh, what exactly did it say? Um, sorry, as I'm reading my notes. But just, like, working with cast members who might not know the television aspect. I don't know. If I was a cast member and I read that, I think I would take that offensively. Like, working with people who didn't have the energy and clout to continue making good material over the course of a long period of time. Uh, on that note, and it's related to this quote, um, the writer, the creator-writer of this show, created this thing and has been working on it for like 15 years. Yeah, this definitely. isn't like a one-year thing. This is a long-term project for him. So maybe that makes the transition easier for actors and crew members and whatever because he really sees the bigger picture top to bottom because he's been looking at it for over a decade. Yeah, and the funny thing, having John Logan like being writing these stories for so long, uh, Ethan asked John, uh, John Logan, if he knew anything about Ethan's background because the audience doesn't. And John Logan actually says he didn't actually quite know Ethan's background. So Josh Hartnett said that was um, a bit... Um, disconcerting? And not disconcerting, but a bit of a challenge for oh. him working on a character that didn't have the background that he didn't know. So sometimes it, it was trying to kind of like just go with the flow uh-huh. with his character. Hmm. And then also he asked, you know, working with Eva Green and Timothy Dalton, he says, it's great working with both because Eva is a person who generally keeps to herself but works in a hard way um, to bring a lot of dark characters to the screen. And then in contrast with Timothy Dalton, that he's a theatrical background and is really experimenting with characters and, and he can pull off different things within um, his character. So I thought that was interesting. And he also says about Timothy Dalton, he comes with that rich voice and strength of presence and he grows to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. So that's the kind like of pasta. actor. Yeah, that's the kind of actor Timothy Dalton is and what he brings to his character. I have a question for you guys on that note because there's a lot of discussion about Eva Green and what she does and how committed she is and how talented she is. In your opinions, and we're going to open this up to the audience too at the end of the show, but in your opinions, who is the biggest star of this series, three episodes in? Who pops the most? Chandler, Vanessa, Malcolm Murray? What one character you say, wow, every time? Definitely Eva. After that seance, I mean, yeah, Vanessa Ives is just... That's all I think about when I think of the show. Like, that scene in itself was just so compelling, and she did such a great job in that, that in my eyes, she is, like, I will kiss her feet if she walked by. And yeah, she definitely had a standalone moment for her character, but I think another person that always pops out to me is Victor, because we can see his emotional internal conflict within himself, and I find that fascinating. I thought it was Proteus. Um, Proteus. Pro- Proteus, sorry, Proteus. Um he was amazing, and I'm devastated to see him go. He did such a beautiful job without saying much. Um, but I think that from the people that we're going to see more of, Dorian. This is awesome. We're going to have four different answers on here. I am Team Malcolm Murray. That guy's got rage and then some more rage underneath it, and we've only seen a sliver of how much rage that guy has, and it's all coming out. <laughs> and and just a quick thing, uh, Josh Hartnett also appeared on Jimmy Kimmel this past week, you know, obviously promoting Penny Dreffel, and he did a nice, fun game of charades with Charlie's Theron. Oh. So it's really fun, and go check it out. 
I want to see, you know how Jimmy Kimmel does the celebrities read mean tweets thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to see Eva Green read mean tweets. <laughs> yeah, but the funny thing is, Eva Green doesn't have a Twitter. Yeah, I know. She's, and, she's and she very, does, she keeps to herself. And so that's not funny. But, but people are still tweeting about her. She probably doesn't so, even get mean tweets. But she's amazing. She is amazing. I mean. Although I have seen some people say that, that they've seen her play a similar character before, so they wanted I mean, to see somebody else maybe yeah. give it a try. She's talked about that, too, about how yeah. she'd like to play kind of a different character. But this that this is a lot of fun for her to do this. But she's so mm-hmm. good at it. Yeah. Yeah. She's so damn good. Hey, guys. It's time for predictions. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. Don't look at me. I'm not starting. Because I ruined your prediction last week, Bobby. So you start. Roxy, go for it. (laughs) Oh, geez. Just thrown under the bus. Um, I'm predicting something with Dorian and Vanessa. There there was definitely sparks there. We're seeing them together a little next week. Um, I'm seeing some sex, some love, some... I have a prediction. With this whole blood curse thing going on, if Amuna and Amun-Ra actually succeed in executing this curse and the hidden ones come from the darkness, who lives in darkness? Frankenstein. The the creature lives in, comes from the shadows. So if this does happen, I think Frankenstein is going to play a big part in dealing with the defeating... I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, do you mean Victor or do you mean the, the monster? Frank, yeah, Frankenstein, the monster. The monster. The monster. Like the firstborn. Or right, we can call him Caliban, whatever. Caliban. Caliban. Marissa but, says whatever. I, I think because he, he comes from the shadows, he comes from darkness. I think he can understand things that come from darkness. So, so he can fight them off. So Aminette and Amun-Ra have an ally that they maybe don't realize they have yet in Caliban. Maybe. Maybe. And going off of that, Marissa, he do- we did see in the preview for next week that when he's talking to Victor, Caliban does say, you know, he calls himself Victor's master. So there's kind of that going on. And we had, you know, the guy who's chained up tonight calling out for master. So I thought it was kind of interesting that they threw that that one line in there of Caliban referring to himself as master. Do we think Mina's like this boy that they have locked in the basement that they're looking for a cure for? No. No. Okay. That's just me. Um, in, in a way, kind of yes, because both of these, this guy who's locked up and Mina, they're, they live in the in-between right now because mm-hmm. they, they're affected mm-hmm. by good and bad. So they're transient right now. They're, they're related in that way. I don't really have a prediction, Bobby. Stop Ooh. pointing at me. You went off of Marissa's. I thought yeah. we thought it was okay. fair. Right, Thank okay. you. Bobby, let's be, everybody point at Bobby now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marissa. I got a prediction. Come on. Be on our team. Ahead. All right. And Roxy, I'm actually going to go off your prediction about Dorian. Uh, Sparks flew between Dorian and Vanessa. She's brushing her shoulders <laughs> off. Spark flew between Dorian and Vanessa. But guess what? Dorian has had sex with Brona. And now Brona has had sex with Ethan. And Brona and Ethan, from what you guys are telling me, mm-hmm. are in legitimate love. And I'm wrong about that. So, so, I didn't say they're in so, love. Yeah, it's, still, it's still kind of early yeah. to call it love. Come on now. Okay. They, are in, they are in like with each other. <laughs> so guys, there's did, really a love square going on. Did you guys on. want my prediction? Or are we going to criticize my views? We're just going to criticize you some more. <laughs> Okay, so my prediction is there's a weird love square like Marissa you're talking about. There's a lot of jealousy here because I think Vanessa's into Ethan on some level. Ethan's into her. Ethan's into Brona. Brona's had a thing with Dorian. You're Dorian's, seeing orgy. 
No, I'm, I'm seeing, seeing way, massive STDs. I'm seeing way too much conflict between the four of them in the exact opposite of an orgy. I don't know what's going to happen, but nobody's getting any, and everybody of those four is going to fight. And honestly, I think something like that would bring down an Ethan-Vanessa relationship over Brona and Dorian and that whole situation, and it would maybe hurt what Vanessa and Sir Malcolm Murray are trying to do. Oh, and also, I think Vanessa and Sir Malcolm Murray, their relationship's going to deteriorate a bit, because seeing sure. that Sir secrets. Malcolm would use her as bait against her well, Vanessa was not happy about that. So the relationship is definitely going to have some rifts and turmoil. All right, guys. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, give us your names. We want you guys to uh, talk to the fans. Twitter and Instagram at the Tiana Hobson. You can find me at Roxy Stryer. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. And I'm at Bobby Demiro on Twitter, at Mr. Bobby Demiro on Instagram because it's formal. Instagram's more formal than Twitter. She's rolling her eyes, guys. That's it this week on the Penny Dreadful After Show. Subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Subscribe on YouTube and comment below and tell us the discussion this week for you guys on YouTube is which character pops for you? Who is your favorite character three episodes in? For the three of these lovely ladies, I'm Bobby. Good night. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.